Is there an accident? <laughs> Something, yeah. Uh, this morning I am going to call up a uh, helper to get uh, my sermon started this morning. And so I'm going to call up my son Dawson. All right, you want to welcome Dawson? Dawson, how old are you? Nine. You gotta, you, nine. Nine years old. And what grade are you? Third grade. All right. And Dawson, would you say that you are an active little guy? Yes. Yes, you are a very active little guy. Uh, ever since Dawson uh, was young, we noticed that uh, whenever he walked somewhere, he would go, and I use word walk lightly. It was more like a dead sprint. He'd go 100 miles an hour. If he's going from the kitchen to the bedroom, it's a sprint. If he's going from the bedroom to the couch, it's a sprint, and then it's a dive onto the couch. And so Dawson is an active little guy, and so when he was young, we decided we, had, we needed to get something for him to burn some energy, and so we got one of these, and this isn't the one, I can't find the original one, but we got one of these punching bags, okay? Have you ever seen one of these things for kids? Okay, okay, now Dawson, I want you to, okay, you're going to go this direction, all right, give it a good punch, all right, good, now try to hit it so it can stay down, really punch it hard, okay, no, no, hit it so it'll... So it'll go down, Dawson, all right? Okay, go ahead. Hit it. Now, um, let, me th- let me have a conversation with you here, Dawson. Why can't you hit this thing down? Because it's weighted with water. Because it's got water in the base, right? It's got a weighted foundation. Now, all of that to say, this leads us into our... Ser- in fact, you can sit down, Dawson. Thank you very much. Thanks to Dawson. You know, this little illustration came to mind as I was looking at our sermon this week because uh, uh, we're going to look at an example here. And, uh, and sometimes I think we, an example from the Bible of when difficulties can come into our lives. Like I think of that kind of like a, maybe a, no, you don't look like this, but a, <laughs> a punch in the face. And what's going to come back, uh, what's going to cause us to, pop back up in our lives or not is what kind of foundation we have. What's in the, what's, what's in, what, are, what is our life based on? What is our life grounded in? And I think that we could have different kinds of foundations, and all of us will face difficulty in our lives. There will be times where we feel like we get punched. Will we get back up? And I was thinking about that when I was studying this passage in Luke chapter 7. And in Luke 7, we have an example of somebody who is going through a difficult time in life. In fact, one of the people that they care about deeply, one of the people that this guy cares about deeply is on his deathbed. And he sends word to Jesus to come and to help him and to to heal this man's uh, loved one. It's a servant of his. He's a military leader. But, uh, but it's obviously a person that he cares about. And, uh, and what we see in this man's life is that he has a certain foundation. There seems to be a certain character that's been built up in his life over time that gives him the ability to bounce back up, 
that gives him the ability to have strength. In fact, this is the only place in all of the Bible, and I'm pretty sure of this because I researched this as I, uh, as I was thinking about this for the sermon this week. This is the only place in all of the Bible that Jesus commends a person's faith. Many times does he say, oh, you of little faith. But this is the only time that he says that he is amazed at someone's faith. In fact, he says of this man that this person has great faith. And I would just wonder for all of us that are here in this room this morning, would not it be wonderful if Jesus looked at your life and he was amazed and he said, wow, what faith. Amazing what faith that you have. And now that might seem almost outrageous that Jesus would look at my life and say, amazing what faith. But as we look at this person in Romans chapter 7, I think there are a couple steps if we, if we rightly understand what faith really looks like. Faith in Jesus really looks like. There are some things that we might be able to say in our lives, put into place in our lives, that we might be on a path to having great faith. What I'm talking about is spiritual maturity. That we would grow mature in our faith. That we would, grow, that we would get uh, grounded and based in the right things so that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what difficulty we face, no matter what the challenges we have in our health or in our relationships or with our kids or with, our, with, uh, with those in our lives that we love, no matter what kind of difficulties we have in our finances or our job, you name it. Whatever we face, would we be able to bounce back up and Jesus would be able to say, amazing, what great faith. And so we're going to look at this uh, example from Romans chapter 7. And, uh, and hopefully it is inspirational for us, but also instructional. Romans 7 we're looking at verses 1 through 10. Romans 7, 1 through 10. FYI, I love it when people open their Bibles. The words are on the screen, uh, but I th- uh, and, and I don't care if you open your Bible on your cell phone. But I think it's good for us to get in the habit of looking at God's Word uh, on our own. So if you got a Bible, if you want to pull out the uh, Bible in the pew in front of you, uh, uh, if you want to pull it up on your phone, that's on your digital device, whatever it is. But let's look at Romans 7, 1 through 10 together. Or ah, Romans, I'm sorry. I'm going to read about a Roman centurion. So if I keep saying Romans today, that's the reason. It gets mixed up in my mind. Luke 7, 1 through 10. Thanks for whoever called me out on that. Luke 7, uh, it is, yeah, so Luke 7, 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion's servant, whom whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, uh, sent friends to say to him, 
Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and, I, and, and that one, come, and he comes. I say, to the, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Let's take a minute and commit this uh, sermon to the Lord. Father God, we just come before you now and we want to humbly ask that you would speak to us. God, as I preach this, I recognize that we need you to be our teacher. And so, God, we pray that you would come and impress upon our hearts the things that you would have for us today. And may we take it with joy, receive it, and apply it to our lives. And may you be glorified in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here is a man who is truly commendable. Jesus says that he has great faith. Not just good faith, not just faith good enough to get him through the moment, get him through the day, get his servant healed. I mean, this, uh, this is a man that Jesus is amazed. He says that he has great faith. In fact, he says he's never seen great faith like this inside Israel or outside of Israel. And I am sure that statement alone really irked the religious leaders. The uh, Jewish leaders right there uh, would have been the ones that they would have been the ones that they want others to see them as having great faith. And here is someone who's not even Jewish, not even considered the, uh, among the people of God. And yet this is the man that Jesus commends above all others. And it must have really irritated them that he said this. This man was a Roman we know this because it says that he's a centurion, which is a, a, a leader in the Roman military. Centurion uh, really, literally means that he is a leader of 100. So he has at least 100 men under his command. And he points this out later on. He says, I'll say to one, go, and uh, he'll go, and I'll say to another, come, and he'll come. Whatever I say, that person does. And so this is a man who is a military leader, and he is used to having authority. Now, we also know just by implication in this text that this is a man who is probably quite wealthy. In fact, uh, it's, uh, when he sends people to meet Jesus, they say he deserves to do this because he has built our synagogue. In other words, he's, uh, he's given the money to build the synagogue in this city. And that surely is not an inexpensive build. And so this is a man of authority. He's a man of, uh, of wealth. But I also think that he is a man of faith. In fact, the more I have studied this passage, even though, he, uh, even though this is the only story that we have about him, I don't think this example that we have here in Luke 7 is just a one-off, that this, this example of him reaching out to Jesus is just like a one-time uh, 
blip on the radar screen. It seems to me that he has a habit of doing godly things. In fact, he has a reputation for this. First of all, when the people are sent to him, they, it says they plead earnestly, saying, this man deserves to have you do this. He deserves to have his, uh, his servant healed. He is a man that has displayed character, godly character, over and over again. We see even that he has compassion for this person that is his servant, and he refuses to leave that person's side. It seems to me that this is an example of someone who has built his life on the firm foundation of trusting in the Lord. The Roman centurion in Romans 7, 1 through 10, is an example of someone who has built his life on the firm foundation of trusting in Jesus. I think the reason that Luke includes this story here in his gospel, we're going through the gospel of Luke together as a church, and and as we go, we kind of see how things progress. And the reason I think this story is here is because it comes off of the heat, it comes on the heels of a parable that he has just told. It comes on the heels of the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. And so let me just summarize this parable that Jesus has told in Luke 6, 46 through the, uh, 49, through the end of the chapter. It's a very simple parable, and we can grasp it very quickly. It says that there are two builders who set out to build a house. And, uh, and he says, one builder takes the time to dig away through the sediment and uh, through all of the, the loose gravel and everything else that may be on the surface, surface until he gets down to a rocky foundation. And then it says he built his house on the rock. Now, there was a foolish builder who built his house on an unstable foundation, kind of like building his house on the sand on a seashore. And it says the storms came, and the house that was built on the weak foundation, the waves would beat against it, the rain would come down, the winds would blow, and that house crumbled immediately. But the house that was built on the firm foundation was, with a, was able to withstand the storms. And then we come to this chapter and we, we read about someone who is experiencing a storm in their life. Their loved one is sick. Now, will this person be able to stand or will they get knocked down? And the reason that this uh, person is able to have faith, the type of faith that Jesus commends and says is amazing and it says is a great faith, is ultimately because he has built his life on a firm foundation. We see it very explicitly by him reaching out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you alone have the authority. You just say the word and it can be done. But we see it implicitly as well by the fact that uh, he has a reputation of being a godly man that he has given generously to, to build the synagogue, that he has, uh, that he has sent his servants to uh, send the people, actually not even his servants, they're Jewish leaders, other Jews, not even Jewish leaders, but uh, uh, elders of the Jews, to go and to receive help from Jesus. So we see a, a pattern, a habit being developed. And I think that that points to a firm foundation. If we look at this story in its historical context, 
we recognize that it would come as a surprise for a centurion to be uh, seen as a man of faith. It says that they are in the city of Capernaum. And I know I have a map here. The city of Capernaum is right there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So in other words, it's in the heart of uh, the nation of Israel. Now, for, the, for a Roman military leader to be in Capernaum, they would have been thought of as the enemy. If, the Jews were walk, if a Jewish man or a woman was, was walking down the street and saw a, 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 mili, a Roman military leader, chances are they'd duck into the storefront next to them or they'd, or they'd quickly cross the other way. These guys were not known to be generous and compassionate people. And so this person, he stands out, uh, he, he stands out because he has shown his faithfulness in an unexpected ways. This is not some cultural trend that he's following, but he has stood out as a man of great faith. And I wonder how many of us in our lives would stand out as people of faith. If your workplace is a place that it is hostile, or not hostile, well, maybe hostile, but it is definitely not a Christian environment, would people, are people surprised to see how you live for the Lord. I hope that many of us are able to say, yeah, I, I think I, I am trying to stand out as a faithful witness in a place that is far from the Lord. Some of us come from uh, families who do not have generations of Christianity. And, we, and, uh, and now we stand as a witness for Jesus in a path that has not always followed Christ. And that is a wonderful thing. In fact, that is a sign of great faith. And this is the tradition, uh, that this is the context that we see the Roman centurion in. And I just want to encourage all of us that we know that this is not something that comes naturally. There is... Uh, there, is, there is hope here in this story. There is an example, an inspiration, that even if this is something different than you have ever experienced, this is different than your background, this is a, different than the context in which you live in, Jesus is, uh, the centurion is setting the example of how we can place our faith in Jesus and stand out in an amazing way as a great man or a great woman of faith. And so this is, this is inspiring to us. And so let's look at uh, the centurion's character and his attitude that, he, that we see in this passage. The first thing that stands out to me is even though everyone else thinks highly of this man, he doesn't think too highly of himself. Notice what it says here in uh, verses 6 and 7. He says, uh, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. You see, that to me is an interesting statement. And to me, that actually is the first step of having great faith what's buried in that. The first step is to recognize that you are undeserving before God. 
That's the foundation of great faith. Now, that is not to say that you beat yourself up, that you tell yourself that you're a no-good loser. But what we recognize is that before God and His greatness and His holiness, we all come before Him undeserving and unworthy. And that's not just at the moment of faith. That's how great faith is cultivated. We continually come before the Lord and we humble ourselves before Him and remind ourselves of how much we are dependent upon Him. In fact, oftentimes when I'm walking in obedience to Him is when I recognize how undeserving I am. And it's when I begin to stray from Him and I'm sinning against Him that I think that I'm, that, uh, I'm, I'm A-OK with God. And I recognize that I am saved and that I'm a child of God and that He looks upon me uh, uh, and He sees Christ's righteousness. But it's not anything that I've done. It's what God has given to me. You see, the first step is to recognize that we are undeserving. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Isaiah 64.6 says, All our, our righteous acts are like filthy rags compared to God's righteousness. And so, we, uh, and so we come before God, and we humble ourselves, and we throw ourselves at His mercy, recognizing that we are unworthy, that we are undeserving of His grace and His love. Now, the, now as we look on in the story, even though the centurion feels this way, it does not paralyze him in self-pity. Because what do we see him do? We see him ask boldly, for Jesus to heal his servant. And we see his actions, his actions, he acts bravely. And we see uh, that, that he moves, even though he recognizes that he's undeserving before Jesus, uh, it, it motivates his actions. He says here in verse 7, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. You see, he's moved to action. He's, and his whole, his whole faith is an action-oriented faith. I myself am a man under authority and with, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and I tell this one come and he comes and I say this ser- to this servant do this and he does it. In other words, Jesus, you're a man of authority. All you have to do is say the word. And it will be done. As we uh, face trials and difficulties in our lives, this is where we are at as well. We come before God uh, with a sense of humility that we are undeserving. To be honest, what we deserve is to be knocked down and stay down. But God in His grace helps us to pop back up. And so though we might feel undeserving... The way we pop back up is the second step, which is, find my notes, to ask God for help and then to step out in faith. In other words, to pray and to act. And that is where we are at when we face those storms in life. Sometimes all we feel like we can do is pray and ask for God's help and then take one step at a time and to keep moving forward. And that might not seem like much faith, but when we pray boldly and we ask, uh, when we pray boldly and we act bravely, that is actually, those are steps of great faith. And that is what God is calling us to. In fact, let me give us a definition of great faith. Great faith is when you realize how undeserving you are to receive God's help 
And yet you ask boldly and you act bravely because you know God has authority and is compassionate. That's a long definition, but you get the gist of it. It's the points of this passage in summary. That we recognize that we are humble before God, and that's a great place to be. That we are dependent upon Him, and yet that we don't get paralyzed in that. But rather we continue to ask boldly. We ask God for great things. And we act bravely. We step out and move forward in faith, even though we don't feel like we're worthy. And we keep moving because we know that God has authority in my life and in the world around us. That Jesus is in control. That He is sovereign. That He reigns over this world. And you, and you believe that, don't you? That Jesus is in control. That He is loving. That He is compassionate. That He will look upon us. And no matter how difficult life is, or no matter how great life is, we continue to depend upon Him. And we look to Him and we pray to Him and we, and we take one step at a time. So that it leads us to this conclusion that great faith is built with one act of faithfulness at a time. Great faith is built with one act of faithfulness at a time. You see, Jesus knew the heart, what was in the heart of each person. He still does. But even when He was on this, when He was a, on the earth at this time when this story took place. He knew what was in the heart of each person. And uh, he looked into the heart of the centurion and he, and he knew that this was a man of great faith that has had one act of faithfulness at a time. And what uh, was cultivated in his heart was a, an amazing faith and belief in God. And so my application question for you today is this. What is God calling you to be faithful to Him with today? What is God calling you to faithfulness in? It might be in a relationship. It might be in a difficulty, uh, difficult situation. It might be in just taking a step of faith of saying, hey, I need to make sure I'm in my Bible and praying to Him so that I have the strength to take that next step. And whatever it is, would you be faithful to whatever God is calling you to, to today. What is God calling you to be faithful to Him with? Some of you may even be here this morning and you have never taken that first step of faith. And you're not sure if you're even, or maybe you're, you are sure that you're not a follower of Jesus. And the first step of faith is to take that, uh, to take that humility and to come before God and to, and to tell Him, that you are a sinner in need of His grace and to receive Jesus into your life through prayer. Ask God to come into your life and to change your heart. I want to just make one side comment here that I found to be interesting as, uh, as I studied this passage. To me, it is very interesting that the person Jesus commends in the Bible as a person of great faith is a man who has authority, and wealth. Does anybody uh, find that to be uh, an interesting observation? Sometimes I think when we read the Gospels, we think the people of great faith are the, are the ones that have nothing. They're the poorest of the poor. They have no power. They have no privilege. They have no position. But isn't it interesting that Jesus says he's never seen a person that has such great faith, and here is a man that has both wealth and authority. 
I just point that out because I think sometimes we can get categories in our own minds that either uh, that we either look down on the poor or we can actually get an attitude in our minds that we look down on those that are wealthy and think that someone who is rich could not be a follower of God. And I think that's an error in our own thinking. In fact, I see this attitude being cultivated more and more in our culture today. I listen to the politicians who, uh, who basically paint uh, those that are wealthy out to be evil. And we could easily fall into that trap because we're reminded that Jesus says the, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And, uh, and he says that it is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And yet that passage goes on to say that what is impossible for man is possible with God. And I point all of this out just because I want us to recognize that no matter where we are at in life, because yes, there are certain temptations that come with being uh, wealthy. There is temptations for the love of money. There is a temptation to use our power and our authority to, to uh, harm others. But those that God has given great gifts to, and let me just say, all of us in this room, by world standards, are quite wealthy. And God has entrusted us with, with uh, many th- uh, gifts and privileges. And some of you God has given a lot to. And there are certain temptations that come with that. But there are also many opportunities to advance God's kingdom. If you are a man or a woman of great faith, that if you open up your heart to be open to what God has called you to, that God can use that to advance His kingdom in many spectacular ways. And I just want you to be open to whatever God may be doing in your heart and in your life. And some of you, all of you, are being called by God to place greater faith in Him. Some of you may feel like you're at the punching bag, but some of you may feel like, no, I'm more like, things are going very well. This is a call to all of us. God is calling all of us to come before Him with humility and to ask boldly, to ask boldly and to act bravely that we might be able to advance God's kingdom. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We will go through those dark days. We will go through those storms. There will be times where we feel like we've gotten punched. But great faith pops back up, not in our own strength, but because Jesus is our foundation. And we pop back up in the form of prayer and action. Great faith is when you realize how undeserving you are to receive God's help and yet you ask boldly and you act bravely because you know that God has authority and is compassionate. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that you love us so much and that we come before you and you are a God of authority. You are a God of power. And if you say the word, bam, it's done. You are sovereign over this universe. And so we come before you humbly, God, and we ask that you would be in control of our lives and work within the hearts of every person here great faith.
that we might be able to trust you with our lives. And so, God, we pray, this, uh, pray for your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.